Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out Canary Cry Radio. You can check out the show notes to this episode or every other episode at canarycryradio.com. While you're there, be a part of the conversation by making comments or joining the forum. We recorded this episode on December 13th, 2012, a day before the Connecticut tragedy. And so our thoughts and prayers go out to those families who were affected uh, by this terrible event. Please enjoy this episode called Greed and the Singularity. What's the noblest of human motivations? I'd say greed. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you see the greed and the concentration of power with it, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism? And whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. You know, the singularity stuff, to some of its critics, it has been mocked as a, a digital rapture, uh, that it's isomorphic to, to talking about uh, apocalyptic issues. If it can happen, I'd be surprised if it hasn't happened by 2030. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Canary Cry Radio. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Basil. And this is Gons, and welcome back to Canary Cry Radio, and we're talking about greed and the singularity. Is that what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. Oh, Basil's joined us. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm back. Yeah, something happened at the beginning there. We, we're not quite sure, but... <laughs> that was my... Yeah, no, that was me. That was that was Basil. But before we jump into the greed and singularity, we wanted to... We had... Okay, okay. Let's just get right to it, Gons. We don't need to beat around the bush here. Well, I'd um, like to start off by saying that... <laughs> Okay. Little thing. Matthew Miller episode was got qu- got quite the response. Yeah, from, it was it was interesting. It was. was uh, I actually enjoyed reading that a lot, or reading a lot of responses. And some people had some very good points. And I mean, I was filled with questions afterwards. So you know, that, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things I want to get off my chest okay. that I responded to in the comment section and whatnot. But I think it's important to just drop it into the podcast as well. I guess. And and it's the point that understanding um, Matthew Miller's version of eschatology has uh-huh. nothing to do with your salvation. So, like, if you didn't get it or you don't get it or you don't want to or you want to call him a heretic or wh- whatever it is, it has nothing to do with our salvation in Jesus. So, right. you know... And- to my memory, you know, I memorized the entire interview. So when I say that I don't remember something, it's totally legitimate. Um, but I, you know, he, I don't remember him saying anything about uh, 
you know, our salvation being in jeopardy because I don't Bible rap. Yeah. Or, well, yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these <laughs> topics do come off, you know, they sound really fascinating. And I think to certain people, they might perk their interest in, you know, different things going on in the Bible. Right. Um, but he did say some things that were built on concepts or idea that according to some people can be easily debunked. So right. keep well, that in I was, mind. I'll do a debunking right now. Okay. Now, that I, and this is something that I thought about after everything was over and I, I couldn't do anything about it, was his time travel idea where he was saying, if you go back in time, you or better go, go forward, yeah. ex- exactly in a year right? Um, because the earth needs to be in the same spot, which would make sense if you weren't actually going back in time. But if you're going back in time, the earth is going to be where it was in that time that you traveled back to. Uh, does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So, boom. Bring it, Matthew Miller. <laughs> time travel. So if you, yeah, exactly. So if you, you go back in time, you're in that right. spot. Yeah. Right. You're going back in time. Therefore, the Earth is. You're. You know. You're. You're the on earth the is where Earth. It was. Where it was at that time. So, sorry, Mr. Miller. I don't think I would be out in space hanging around. Who knows? Though I haven't done it yet. So we'll find out. Right. And one of the things that pe- someone brought up that. I think is important to point out is um, he seemed to promote sort of a sacred knowledge, you know, like, Hey, you know, I, I figured something out that's really cool. And I'm not saying that he, he didn't, obviously it, it was okay. over my head a little bit. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it should send up red flags a little bit when someone, when someone claims to have some sort of truth that nobody else has. True. You know, and it's not that he, I don't think he purposely did that. I think his heart is in the right place. It's kind of like when you think that, you know, you have the answer to everything and you you just want to share it so badly and everybody's wrong at that point, right? Um, except for you, which, you know, Christians get in trouble for all the time yeah. uh, when it comes to something like that. Um, I did want to address something. There was a lot of calling Matthew Miller a numerologist. Yeah, uh, and a Kabbalist. And a Kabbalist. I'm not so sure about the Kabbalism, but he technically didn't fit any uh, the standard definition for a numerologist. He has some unorthodox ways of navigating the Bible using numbers, but his use of numbers did not warrant name calling like a numerologist. Right. It just simply wasn't the uh, method he was using. But I could see where the uh, you know how somebody could apply that uh, title to what he was doing. Yeah, it, it, basically what it comes down to is that his hermeneutic was really loose. It, it was kind of undefined through the conversation. Right. And I think that's why people were having trouble understanding what he was saying. Um, but either way, I, th- I mean, I think everybody had trouble. But And I think a part of it was because um, you guys, when you were talking, were just covered so many things. You didn't really uh, spend a lot of time getting the details or working out a lot of yeah. The, with a lot of stuff that he talked about. So sometime in the future, we're going to have him back on. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll be here as well to, to ask some questions that I have. And we will get a little bit more detail and uh, talk to him a little bit more in a more standard ways using the English language that we're all used to. Yeah. Well, I read all the comments, um, both Basil and I checked them all out. I tried to respond to a lot of them and yeah. I did consider a lot of um, the was different over- positions, oh. and what was that? I was I was just saying I was overwhelmed. I didn't do a lot of responding. Yeah. You did a good job, though. I did a lot of responding, and 
I was able to relate to both sides. I was able to sort of relate to the people that said, oh, heretic, and I, I see where you're coming from. But I was oh. also able to relate to, to the other side of people thinking that it's fascinating, because I think it is. Well, that's everybody had great points. Everybody had great points. Yeah. Well, we, have, we have a very intelligent audience, so it helps that... Uh, I, I almost felt like... That, I mean, that's why I was so intimidated. I'm like, gosh, these people are, are so on top of it. I'm going to let Gons put himself out there like that. Yeah, put myself on the chopping block. Thanks, Basil. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> While you were flying in the UFO, I was uh, struggling oh. to interview Matthew Miller. Taking my UFO tour. And look okay. what happened. All right, that's what we got with uh, Matthew Miller. Those of you who who have no idea what we're talking about, you can go back. It was the last episode, episode 038, Matthew Miller and uh, Biblical Mechanics. Check it out, and you can um, then we'll all be in the same boat, not really understanding what's happening. <laughs> um, but like I said before, we'll have him back on. We'll answer some more questions. We'll get a little bit more specific. And we'll um, let you guys know when we're going to have him on so that you guys can line up your questions. Right. That so way... I want to take a lot of the questions. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to take a lot of the questions that you guys were asking on the forum and on the comment section and apply those to an episode. So there you go. Check back and you can hear your own questions answered. All right, cool. Well, we're going to talk about greed and the singularity today. And we just wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the technological things that are happening and tie it all into some of the stuff going on, I feel like that's kind of our bread and butter. So, and to get a little bit of the human side in there with some greed, exactly. And a nice talk about a, a human condition that we're all stuck with once in a while. Yeah, yeah. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. So I think most of us can say that we need change, some kind of change, right? I mean, if you think about Obama in the election in 2008, he won that election on the buzzword change, you know? Right, yeah. And I think we're all starting to realize that no one really agrees what to change. Or really a lot of times even what change looks like. Yeah, yeah. They they want change, 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 but they're not exactly sure what, what it is. So... And it seems that everybody, especially when, you know, I scour through a lot of the comments of different videos and, and different forums and things like that, we, you find a lot of commentary on personal opinions or beliefs on what system, whether it be economic, political, or spiritual, each person has their own philosophy of how to govern those things, which they claim is the best way. Right. You know, and it's sort of been this... I would say it's been this debate that's been ongoing for centuries. And everybody, you know, no matter what the system, everybody sort of has a point, especially when you're able to empathize or sympathize with their own situation. You know, depending what perspective you're looking at something, you you could really agree with. I mean, there's parts of 
many diametrically opposed systems of government and economics that I can, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, make an argument for either one. Right. Which I wanted to jump start this conversation by asking you what system of government, human government anyway, do you think would create the most peace and harmony in the world? You're talking to me? I'm talking to you. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I'm not going to fall into your little trap. <laughs> I know you I wanted to. I wanted to put you in handcuffs and then chop off your hands. That's weird. Um, but yeah, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, like I said, I, I do think that depending on your perspective and your situation, many different forms of government slash economics slash slash would sound like a good idea. They really do. And I'm, you know, confident in my own um, personal being to say that, you know, there are some things about socialism which from a biblical perspective sound like it's the right idea. But being a red-blooded American, you know, I can't quite... <laughs> can't, can't quite jump on that bandwagon. quite jump on that bandwagon, especially after seeing, you know, being a, a history buff and a conspiracy nut seeing all these forms of government that have already existed in almost perfect conditions, ready to take them on, and then just, it's just always a disaster. Right. I think the answer to this question about, you know, which system of government do you think will create the most peace? The answer to that question is is what sets Christians apart from a lot of, or at least at least us Christians. I mean, not every Christian. A lot of Christians are very politically active and you know, we're not saying don't be politically active because obviously there are certain, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I guess there's certain moral obligations or, mm-hmm. you know, just, just basic ethical moral things that Christians should support. And so right. sometimes those things become political. But the point, I think, is not for us to preach a theocracy or, you know. Right. Well, and and that is... Yeah, it gets us in a lot of trouble. Yeah. The theocracy thing. It's even hard for me. Yeah, no. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's really, it's challenging because you want to take a political stance on various issues that come up in society, but you don't want to do it in a way that's, you know, imposing, which is what Christians get accused of. of Oh, you guys are trying to change the laws and this and that. And right. Well, anyway, this is getting way messier than we expected. Right. Okay. Why is it, Gons, do you think that we as human beings, in all of our experience, in our thousands of years of experience governing ourselves, have we not been able to find one that really works? Well, I think this is the punchline or the kickstart, at least, for this conversation, which is, you know, good job on the setup there. But it's, <laughs> it's greed. I think it's greed. I think there's a mixture there of is. pride in there, too. But I think greed is the glue that that holds all these different issues and wedges between humanity there it's there and i think it's when you become sort of conspiracy minded you start to see it a lot right and um you know in my personal experience it was sort of a becoming a believer and having my eyes opened at the same time so it was like this grand revealing right. if you will but but i think that that when you start to look at greed, it's, it's a challenging topic because it's something that is really blinding, you know, because mm-hmm. most people don't consider themselves greedy, right? I mean, do, right. do you consider yourself greedy? 
No, I don't consider myself greedy. Um, but you know that you've but done that's things. Complicated. I I know <laughs> I I know when I say that, like, there's you know, everybody take a second if if you're listening to the podcast. Everybody take one second and be and, and repeat after me. I you say your name Basil. I'm not greedy. And then suddenly, you take a moment, and you know you get all these flashbacks of these terrible moments when you just you were just the terrible greedy human. Man, just look how happy he is. <laughs> Whether it's being a, a a punk kid who uh, you know wants the last cookie or you're secretly like at the party and there's like one piece of pizza left and you're like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, this is one that I, you know, I've had plenty of experience with being somewhere like, like at a sleepover, let's call it a sleepover. Um, and there's pizza, but there's one last piece of pizza left and you're like, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who like rushes to get the last piece of pizza, but still in your mind, you're like, please God, nobody take that. Please, I want that so badly. But you know, you kind of like casually like, eh, anybody want it? Me? Anybody want to split it? Nobody wants to split the last piece of pizza. And you're just like, oh, yes, it's mine. You know, am I the only one? Who's no, I, I've totally okay. experienced that um, much worse than just the last slice of pizza. It's so innocent. Yeah, that, I'm, uh... You would. You're. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I really think, you know, I had this sort of thought come to me as we were putting this show together. But right. I think one of the big points of why greed is so powerful is because exactly what we're talking about here, it's so easy to see it in somebody else, Yeah, but it's so hard to see in yourself because there's always somebody greedier than you. You know, you can always point to somebody oh. around that's like, man, that guy's greedy, you know, right, check out that true. guy in his four houses or whatever it is. And, you know, use that as a standard. And then it's like, well... I guess I'm not that greedy then for wanting one house or two houses or whatever. Right. And that I think snowballs and perpetuates as you move up the hierarchy, if you will, of the pyramid structure of, you know, human society. Um, Mm -hmm. That thought, just that idea being planted in your mind perpetuates more greed, you know, because if you look at, if you look at some of these really powerful, rich, you know, people, they don't need anything else. They, they don't need more things. They don't need things right. or money or, or whatever, but they continue to instigate systems or laws or rules or whatever to mm-hmm. produce more money or produce more wealth or whatever. Right. And that's a greed thing. And it's, it's, it's just very interesting to me that America is built on greed. We are perfect practitioners. Yeah. Uh, I heard the other day that, for every dollar an American makes, we spend like a dollar twenty-five or something. Oh, which well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going into that, but yeah, absolutely. Which you know, I don't know how accurate it is now. I think it's a, it's a statistic that's a couple years old. But in general, why do we do that? Well, because things make us happy, guns. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, no, but I mean, you know, that's what's perpetuated. I, um, I heard a study now. I could be totally wrong. My my sources are pretty reliable on this, but if if this is wrong, somebody just don't say anything to anybody else. Which is uh, things or our external surroundings only account for about ten percent of our 
happiness. Our well being. Our well being. I think that's the. I think that's the vocabulary that was used. That only ten percent of your well being or your happiness comes from external things like your house or your toys or your pizza. Uh, it's only ten percent. As Americans, we we focus a lot. Now, I, well, I know we have a lot of international. We're a global show here. This. What up to my homies in Australia and the UK and everybody else? Um, but just coming as an American, we, we you know we focus so much on things and uh, how we can change the world around us to make us happy. Well, science is telling us that the best that we can do, the very best statistically that we can do by becoming rich and buying anything we want is improve our happiness or our well-being by 10%. Hmm. Think of all the energy that we put into things and our and our surroundings. You know, I'm not even really even talking about just things. I mean, we'll talk about music, we'll talk about oh, I don't know, food, all that stuff only really accounts for around 10% of our well-being. And that's what we put 80% of our energy into. Yeah. We have a, a serious problem with allocating our energy to our uh you know our our well-being output right right so yeah and you hear all those stories of famous actors or musicians or whatever who have it all who come to the end of the road and they've done it all kind of like uh you know king solomon right uh, you know talking about man it's not worth it it's really not worth it all that stuff but it continues to blind us and i think while it's a struggle for each of us individually, I think the consequences of greed become more and more magnified as you go up the hierarchy. And the more material goods you have, the more wealth, the more power you have and authority you have, the more the consequences matter. So in this Mm -hmm. case, I think when you start looking at our political economic structure, all this stuff, our, our global, you know, our push for global governance, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole thing has to be built on the idea of greed because otherwise we wouldn't be in the mess we're in now. And, you know, just doing some speculation, uh, it's entirely possible that revelation six two, the first seal being opened, the white horse that this, this is already in place. Like this system of this kind of hierarchy of government, we already know is in place. Um, now what would make you say that? Walk us, walk me through that a little okay, bit. Okay. So let me read revelation six two. It says, it. I looked and there before me was a white horse its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So the first thing that we notice is that the rider held a bow, but he didn't have an arrow, which means he's passive aggressive, mm. right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, think that's of, what I do when I'm trying to, you know, be a <laughs> passive aggressive guy. Well, you know, it was, it was funny cause I'm thinking about this and you know, my mind wanders and, and yeah. stuff. So I'm thinking maybe, maybe the arrow was already shot. You know, the arrow Ooh. left the bow, you know, at the beginning of history Ooh. and, and it, it, you know, passed through all these different antichrist types, you know, all these different, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, it's the arrow passing through, but then the actual rider on the white horse, the one that shot that, that bow uh, right. is, is, is here now. Uh, huh. Obviously he's given a crown. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Okay, so he's a passive aggressive. Okay, so guy. okay, sorry. Before we move on, yeah, that passive aggressive thing. It's sort of like, so when you look at what's going on today, 
I mean, that's what it is. If you think about the credit card system, the debt system, all these things, uh, a debt-based economy, it's sort of passive aggressive. It's like, hey, you guys can have this dream house. You know, you guys can have this car. You guys can have the American dream, but you're going to be in debt. But it's okay because you'll pay it off. You know, so it's kind of like this thing where it's not really forced on you, right? Right. But it's kind of an entrapment. Yeah, it's kind of working on your own. It works from the inside out. Right. It gives you a choice and it urges you to go in one direction, kind of influences you to go in a particular direction. Okay. So So it's passive aggressive in that way. Right. And, you know, I think all of our listeners understand that on the peak of this global conspiracy is Satan, but obviously Satan's not going to walk on stage. Well, he will eventually as the Antichrist, but mm-hmm. he's not currently out on TMZ proclaiming his Antichrist authority or anything like that. No, he's not. The leaders of this world, the movers and shakers, the powers that be, these guys are completely ambiguous. I mean, we have no idea who they are really, you know, whether yeah, it's true. one man or a group of men or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But we know that they have a lot of power, a lot of authority. Thus, the crown. The crown was given to him. I mean, ultimately, it may lead to one bloodline or one family line or whatever. Who knows right. what that looks like? And there's a lot of speculation on that. And then, obviously, the last part, he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest and you know the whole idea of a new world order and a global governance and all this stuff. Uh, right. While it is promoted as it's for peace and for prosperity for all, ultimately is a form of conquest, even if it is a peaceful thing, it's not, it's not for the best. So, okay. So you're making the connection between this, this horseman and today's economic governance of the world. Yeah. The conspiracy, the, the push for the new world order and all those things that we've talked about before. And, you know, so many people have talked about, all right. I think it's totally possible that it's, uh, it's the first seal. Okay. I'll buy it. That sounds that sounds like that makes a little bit of sense there. Right. The first seal happening right now. Right. Which I think it's already open. I think it's we won't go there today, but I think it's entirely possible that the second and third are opened as well. Or at least the second and then the third is uh well on its way. But you know, those are cool. things that Cliffhanger. we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah. Um, okay. So tying this a little bit uh, back to greed and we'll, you know, the greed is the glue. So we're going to always tie, tie it back to greed as we go through here and we'll greed get to the, the glue. we'll, we'll get to the singularity and, and you know, there's some profound connection there. I'm sure that will make it sound more profound than it really is, but we'll figure it out. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So keep going here. We got the horseman, right? First, first seal is open. Right. Boom. And so again, it just completely makes sense that as you go up the, the hierarchy, the chain, it's no surprise that you start finding Satanism, you know, <laughs> with every, every door you right. knock down, it's like, why are these people Satanists? And right. it's because there really is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes, um, influencing those to work for, uh, Satan ultimately. Right. And greed is, uh, sort of the, the perpetual wheel, if you will. Well, that, I was going to say, yeah, it's uh, greed's been there from, just from the very beginning. I mean, Satan's whole issue was greed, right. greed-based. You know, his whole issue is greed-based, which led to his whole issue with us passing on that same greed, the exact same greed right. that caused his fall was the exact same greed that caused our fall. 
you know, we're both victims of the same greed. Right. Which I find pretty fascinating. And from there, greed has just been this perpetual gearbox of just disaster for the world. I mean, that, yeah, okay, there's arguments to be made, and, and I'll get into that in one second. But, I mean, what is, what is discontentment? You know, discontentment is just another word, really, for greed, for not being happy, for wanting more, for wanting something better, for an insatiable desire to improve oneself, one's life, um, an insatiable desire to uh, collect, to obtain, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to note that we're not a reliable source for for if we're being greedy or not. It's really hard to judge for ourselves. And I think this is really part of the fall. I think when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think it caused a duality in our minds, you know? Right. And I, I think when you think about the angelic domain or the, you know, the heavenly realm or the spiritual realm, I think those things are really, really, really clear. It's like, you know, it's like dry land and water. It's like, nope, one's good, one's evil, you pick, you know, you know. Whereas in our world, it's just, it's kind of ambiguous. You know, it's like, we're not really sure where the line is with this stuff. We're kind of, we have to internally process these things and figure out like, okay, is this greedy? Is this not? Is, you know, it's just confusing for us because. Well, we're all about comparing. Right, you know? right, right. Exactly. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, which is number one, a route for, you know, this greed issue that we, we have, you know, it, it just fuels that. But we also compare ourselves to more greedy people and compare the consequences of our own greed with the consequences of somebody else's greed and that guy's greed landed him in a worse spot than mine did. So, you know, he's obviously... Well, and it works the other that. way, too. You know, when you see someone that's greedy that gets what he wants, and right. you look at it and you go, hey, wait, that guy was greedy and he got what he wanted. Well, so, you know, I should be at least as greedy because, you know, look, if it worked for that guy, it can work for me. And so it, it's this very negative cycle. Um, right. And And there's even people who... I mean, and, and this is the argument that's going on in everybody's mind right now, which is, is greed necess- is my greed necessarily bad for other people? Or is it good for other people? Right. And this is, you know, gets into the whole conversation between, you know, socialism and capitalism. Well, a big thing is, you know, greed is not a terrible thing, you know, because it fuels progress, it fuels blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was just talking to my, my buddy, a long time, long, long time buddy. Love the guy. I'll, you know, I'll die for him someday. <laughs> we were having a conversation and his point was that he is going to serve himself. And I asked him, that sounds terrible. Why are you telling me this? He says, because when I'm doing good for myself or when I am operating in this sort of greed, it's good for everyone. Right. And I say, that sounds twisted. And he says, no, let me explain. And so he explains that, you know, if he is doing what he wants, that because what he wants is more or less 
benevolent and you know he's not hurting anybody that doing everything for himself is helping other people because what he does for himself benefits society he he wants to be a musician so he if he just focuses on himself and does his music then his music will heal the world or something akin to that and i i said all right and then i walked away because there's really not much you can't really talk somebody out of a mind state like that right i mean that's difficult because there is i mean there is a little bit of truth to that but the problem is there's so many there's so many caveats like as long as it's greed that's not hurting anybody (laughs) as long as i'm serving myself that's not affecting others you know what i mean it's like everything you do well that's a good question what do you think exactly counts as greed what counts as greed and what doesn't well that's the thing that's the crux of the question because and if and if something is not greed what do you call it if it looks like greed but for some reason is not what is it right Uh, the example that i get is okay is it wrong for us to want a roof over our head and food on the table for your family? Most people would say no, right? Is owning a home bad? No. Okay, is owning two homes bad? No. What about three? I don't think it's bad. What about four? Are there people inside of these homes? Am I renting them out? Yeah, yeah, you're renting them out. You know, you're... you're okay, yeah, okay. okay. No, I don't, I don't think that's greedy. Okay, what about 20? I, I, I mean, I, I don't think the number of houses it's what is what's constituting greed. I, I mean, I, I know you, that's kind of okay. the point. That's the point. Oh, you got me. You got me, guns. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. It, it's like right. there is no line. There's no like. There's no, there's no price tag. There's no price it. tag. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. There's there's nothing that says like ah now you've entered the realm of greed. <laughs> you know. <laughs> There, there's just no that way would, of knowing that. That would make life really easy. Yeah. And again, that's why I think that the fall did this to us. I think this is part of the consequence of the fall is that we're just like walking around in the dark. You know, we're just like, oh, well, right. it's kind of, it's good for me. So, you know. So if we're walking around in the dark, what do we have to light our path, guns? Well, luckily, uh, Jesus uh, <laughs> Jesus told us uh, how to fight the good fight against greed. What does he say? Luke 12, 15, um, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then uh, Matthew 6, 25 25 through 27. Can I read this one? This is my favorite. Okay, go ahead. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith! So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, I love that. That was actually one of the first verses that really spoke to me. Uh, oh, it's, was, a, uh, it's a great seeking. verse. Yeah. Or a great 10 verses or something. Yeah, it, it's funny because it speaks directly to our culture. I mean, it just it just screams at what we're dealing with in our culture. And personally, too. I mean... Well, obviously those go hand in hand, yeah. but I mean, at least for me, with all the worries that we worry about, I mean, in the first world, ah, it's ridiculous. The first world, I mean, we worry about the dumbest things. I, I mean, in, eternally, and which is exactly what this, this passage is pointing out, which is the lilies of the field are, uh, are clothed in... In, in exactly what God wants them to be clothed in. And so what does that mean for you being the greatest creation, you know? Right, right. And, you know, uh, just to go down the uh, couple different paths, one, it just came to my mind as you were reading the lilies thing. I think, you know, the fact that we have to wear clothes and stuff, not that, you know, I think the picture of Adam and Eve before the fall was like they're running around naked and they didn't have shame. Which partially I think is true, but I think another part of it, a lot of it is true when, when some of the things that Douglas Hamp has talked about, which is that we actually had a garment of light, if you will. I think like we were covered in light and God's right. light because we were able to be in his presence. There was something about us, uh, even genetically that was different prior to the right. fall. So that's one thing that came to my mind and, and just sort of the idea that, Hey, you know, there is actually a heavenly body that's waiting for us that is what God originally clothed us in. And it feels like clothing today is sort of a, a supplement to our, to the fall, you know? Right. Right. Um, well, and it's all based around greed. Exactly. Like we were talking about greed is focusing on material possessions. And this whole passage is talking about stop worrying about material possessions. Stop worrying. First of all, at all. And everything that he names is material possessions, you know, drink, eat, clothes. Why are we running after these things that the heathens run after? Right. You know, it's based in this. Um, and I, I think it speaks right to the greed thing, which is focused on the material possessions and abundance and, and all that causes worry. Is there, do you think there is a form of greed that doesn't involve material possession or money? Oh, Yeah. I think there's definitely emotional the people that can be emotionally greedy. Right. There you go. I mean, I mean greed is definitely a it's not as specific as I think people yeah, um yeah. as we immediately think. Yeah. It's not ju- it's not just the fat cats that are greedy. No. I think we're all greedy and that's why this right. society has been able to sustain <laughs> itself the way it is. Well, and and that drives me crazy. I've I can just, you know, for put a little personal uh personal opinion into this show, which I rarely do, (laughs) which is, 
people, I mean, especially in um, circles uh, like you and I talk with some people and we're always talking about how, you know, bad the people in the NWO are, the, the powers that be, the corporations, the CEOs, how they're all so greedy, those greedy fat cats. Yeah. And I mean, really, come on. We're just all operating in the same human greed that we all have. I, know. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think one person is more greedy necessarily than the next. I think there are people who are better at being greedy. Right. Well, I think, <laughs> I think it alludes back to the consequence thing. The more you have, the more you, the more power you have, the authority you have, the more money, possessions, all this stuff, the, the bigger the consequences to, to the actions that are rooted in greedy. Right. Thoughts. And when your greed starts to affect more and more and more people, then that's when those people, you know, start wanting to knock down the gates to your mansion. Right. But at the but I mean that that's the whole thing about greed. And I think that might be I think that might be an important point, which is the the people who it affects. You know what I mean? Maybe you own twenty houses but maybe you are renting them out for a reasonable price or letting somebody live in them. Right. And, so, and that's not greed. You have those 20 houses, you're doing great stuff, you're, you're a good guy or just a regular guy with 20 houses, whatever. But if you own 20 houses and you know there's 20 families who are living out on the street in front of your house and you're not letting them rent it for a reasonable price or not letting them live in it, or, you know, when your collection of things starts to cause a lack of survivability or starts causing discomfort in innocent people's lives, I mean, I think that's at least a jumping off point to where we can say, where we can start categorizing things right. as greedy. Yeah, and it really... I think that how we spend our money and how we at least because money is a very powerful thing and how we spend it is really an indication of where our hearts are at. And, you know, the biblical mandate is for us to be good stewards. Right. And we won't get into that, but that's, that's sort of the mandate of understanding that none of this stuff really belongs to us, that we're just right. kind of here to, exactly. you know, be good stewards. And, and when you take on that stance, I think, it's harder to fall into the traps of greed. But, uh, you know, my favorite part about this, this passage that we just read was verse 27, and I got a couple different versions of it. Uh, the ISV says, Can any of you add a single hour to the length of your life by worrying? And the KJV renders it, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which I thought is kind of a creative way to say it. But Here's, here's what's interesting about the entire singularity, transhumanism, human enhancement thing. The greed of these folks, the greed that has blinded them, so, so it seems anyway, is this idea of lengthening your life, adding a cubit onto one stature. Suppose we develop by our understanding of how the genome works and therefore how the body works. Uh, a, an approach that would improve memory. What's wrong with that? Or an approach that would make all of us able to stay slender, uh, even if we were being fairly careless about our diets. What's wrong with that? Well, it does 
raised the question about who decides what's an improvement and is that improvement something which is going to be available to all or will it be another example of separating between people who have resources and people who don't? The key question is, what happens to society if everyone is clamoring to have their status and their capabilities boosted? And in a worst case scenario, what happens if society itself begins to fracture, on one hand, into a race of super beings, and on the other hand, the rest of us? I see a genetic divide between the haves and the have-nots as a possibility that is of concern. Given accessibility of these techniques that will be coming on the market, whether it's approved or not approved, if it's available, and it's available in a country or a location somewhere, uh, people will use it. We've seen that. There's plenty of evidence to that effect. And I think it's just really interesting mm. that this movement is being pushed by such heavy hitters in, in the uh, world of, you know, technology and economy. Right. That, I uh, mean, yeah, the, the whole singularity movement. Yeah, so... That's how we're going to sort of segue into the singularity thing. But Wow, that was good. <laughs> um, and this is why we, we named the episode what we did, because those two things tie together, I think, pretty well. I mean, there's pride also, but I think greed is how this whole thing has been able to sustain the pride in, in our hearts. Can I say one more thing sure. about yeah. greed? I think greed can also be defined as wanting more than you are given. The very simplest explanation that I can come up with with greed is it's wanting more than God has given you. Yeah. Wanting more possessions, more stature, wanting, uh, I mean, even in spiritual things, I mean, wanting more spirituality or if you're sitting there and you're saying, Man, I'm really disappointed that, you know, I'm in this place that God has put me. I'm going to go work towards some more stuff. And then you go out and you start working towards stuff you probably shouldn't be working towards. You know, you're just going to mess the whole system up. I think that might have a, some sort of connection with greed, at least. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that is a good point that, um, a good way of putting it that, greed is wanting more than God has given us because I know in my walk being saved, I, I know that I always felt that like this, this, that's why this verse really spoke to me when, when I was first sort of seeking out was because I was like, I was always taught, you know, just, just because of my family upbringing that it's the most important thing to get a job uh, out of, you know, I was always pushed to be a doctor, be a doctor, mm -hmm. be a doctor, be a doctor, buy a house, buy a car, then you can have a family. I mean, it was just all predicated. My, my happiness was contingent upon the things I had. And, and right. that's what was pounded into my brain. And I always resisted it. Ever since I was a kid, being told that I'm going to be a doctor and all this stuff, it was like, it was always like, really? why? Like, why, why do I need, why do I need to buy a house? Like, why do I need right. to have a car and, and a job? Why do I need to be a doctor? I don't. And so when I read this verse, it was like, ah, great. The creator <laughs> of the universe just told me not to worry about these things. 
uh, that makes me feel good because I never really wanted to worry about these things, you know. Yeah, I and, mean, he's really he's really doing us a favor there. Right, right. Which you know, like, there's another side of uh, me personally that I feel like makes me complacent because of knowing these things. But that's a whole other issue for uh, for the and for the, next for week's the show is complacency. That's, yeah, I was gonna say it's for the for the psychologist. But anyway, for, for your therapy <laughs> guy. Yeah. Okay. Um. But okay, let's let's bring it back to the singularity here. There's a, a little there's a great article on a website called godandscience.org. It's a great website. I don't agree with everything on there, especially mm-hmm. some of the things about um well, well, let's not get into that. But well, that's a new thing, something that's disagreeable having to do with god and science. <laughs> what? How could well, there possibly be something disagreeable on a website called godedscience.org? Well, the, the, these guys are Christian. Uh, they have a lot of articles. I'm sure if you guys have done any searching, you've run into this website. Right. They have a lot of really good stuff on there. I just don't agree with some of the ancient, well, not ancient history, more of a, a creation history account of how sure, you sure, know, they sure. try to sort of reconcile the evolution thing. Anyway, anyway they wrote an article that was on the singularity movement and it was just really good. It was really well-written, uh, really succinct. And so I wanted to quote parts of it and uh, we'll just talk about it. But um, it was written by Rich Deem and we'll have the link in the show notes. And in a section called the players, which again, this ties back to the whole topic of greed that we've been talking about. But uh, it says Werner Vinge, a science fiction writer, computer scientist and math professor wrote a research paper in 1993 called The Coming Technological Singularity, How to Survive in the Post-Human Era, which kicked off the singularity movement. However, the current promoters of the singularity movement reads like a who's who of Silicon Valley's finest. Peter Thiel, a former CEO of PayPal, is the advisor for Singularity Institute for Artificial Intelligence in San Francisco. Andrew Hessel, a former research operations manager at Amgen, Sergey Brin, a co-founder of Google, Larry Page, another co-founder of Google, who helped set up Singularity University in 2008. Google has supported Singularity University with more than $250,000 in donations, which I think is more now because uh, this, I think this article was written a little bit ago. The speed of technological growth now is unprecedented in human history. Events happening around the world affect us in minutes. We've never been in a time like this before. There are divergent technologies that are now accelerating and converging. Robotics, AI, computing, communications. 3D printing, synthetic biology. Nanotechnology and renewable energy. We live in a world today where our problems, our grand challenges are also accelerating exponentially. I really believe that we're facing some incredible challenges as humanity, and we're obligated to tackle them now. Some of those major threats, poverty, education, world public health, global hunger, these are issues that need to be addressed. We need an organization that is dedicated to addressing these global issues. We live in a unique time. We have rapidly growing technology. At the same time, we have rapidly growing global threats. We have an unprecedented opportunity to apply exponential technologies to some of the world's biggest challenges. Civilization is at a critical juncture today. How we operate and manage these technologies in the next couple of generations will dictate how the next several centuries of humanity plays out. And that's why we have Singularity University. 
Yeah. And then uh, the second paragraph here, the primary spokesperson for the singularity movement is Ray Kurzweil, a millionaire inventor who has been trying to sell the idea to young entrepreneurial types for a number of years. Kurzweil has written the book, The Singularity is Near, and gives up to 60 lectures a year, including his cross-country multimedia roadshow to promote Transcendent Man, a documentary about his life and beliefs. If you go back 500 years, not much happened in a century. Now a lot happens in six months. Technology feeds on itself and it gets faster and faster. It's going to continue. In about 40 years, it's going to be moving so fast. The pace of change is going to be so astonishingly quick that you won't be able to follow it unless you enhance your own intelligence by merging with the intelligent technology we've created. This guy is freaky. He says computers will have consciousness in just 25 years. If you get to the 2030s, you're not going to be able to tell a clear difference between human and machine intelligence. The big questions of life is, who are we? What are we going to become? What's the future like? And he's got one of the most incredible track records in history for his ability to predict with pretty darn good accuracy. He's an award-winning scientist and engineer, a millionaire several times over because of his invention. These inventions may end up causing the worst war that humanity's ever had. Corporations and governments and societies will be created and destroyed on the back of the technology that this book describes. The world is flattening. The world that is globalizing. Inventor Ray Kurzweil thinks that one day humans may be able to live forever. I want to live as long as I can. I don't want to die. If following Ray's regimen would put that day off, I'm very willing to do that. I knew there was a reason I was keeping all this stuff, and he kept all this stuff. Uh, I do plan to bring back my father. God is who he is, and our challenge should be to know him, not try to create him. I'm afraid of you. Uh, it's going to scare a lot of people. The world is changing far too fast. Nothing like this has ever happened to homo sapiens before. These ideas are going to ultimately change the world. We didn't stay on the ground, we didn't stay on the planet, we didn't stay with the limitations of our biology. I think Ray is performing the service of a prophet. That's wrong. He has used the, the gift that he was given for the betterment of humankind. That's what I know. It will be the universe breaking up. Kurzweil is, is co-founder of Singularity University, which charges $25,000 for a 10-week course in Singularity Philosophy and Science. He takes up to 200 pills and supplements a day, developed a line of health supplements called Ray and Terry's, along with health books, Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever, and Transcend, Nine Steps to Living Well Forever. He hasn't been shy about stating the reason for his ardor. He simply wants to live forever. At age 62, Kurzweil's time is rapidly running out based upon the current rate of progress. So, I mean, there's okay. a lot of things in there. So what, we got Google guys, we got Amgen guys, we've got... Who else we got? PayPal, a former CEO PayPal, of PayPal. Andrew Hessel. Yeah. Got all sorts of really big guys, big name guys there. Yeah. Working, all working towards one goal, which, which is 
Living forever? Living forever, yeah. Living forever. There we go. If that's not wanting more than what God has given you, I, I have no idea what <laughs> it is. What it the is. definition of wanting more than God has given us. <laughs> and, wow. you know, and it's really a couple interesting things here. One, the fact that the whole singularity movement, according to this article anyway, with Werner Vinge, okay. kickstarted in 1993, which is the same year the UN started getting together, talking about global government governance, you know, before they published all their works, which is why, you know, it's not really a conspiracy anymore. It's all published information. I know. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, and then all the, uh, the big players. I mean, these are not, you don't just start a university. Like, right. you don't just, like, drop, you know. I mean, I could want to start a university really badly and. Yeah, I tried once, but I, I don't know. Well, where are you going? Where are you going? I don't, nowhere. I don't know any millionaires, and I didn't start Google. So I didn't really have an end game for that joke as I was saying it, <laughs> but thanks a lot. <laughs> um, back to the singularity. I mean, there's no question that this, the singularity is a rich man's game. Right. Living forever is a rich man's game, at least when we're talking about these earthly meat bags that we call the human body. Right, because if you think about greed in general, it's, you know, like we've talked about this whole time, it's material possessions, it's money, it's earthly things, it's physical things. What's the one thing stopping us from having that forever is death. So mm -hmm. if we can conquer death, then we can have all these things and live forever in its, all its splendor and, and wonder, which, it's true. which, you know. We could do it. I mean, I, you know, and a lot of, a lot of times you wonder, like, why? Why? Like, why do they, well, I mean, it's obvious they either, A, are afraid of the abyss of nothingness that they believe comes after death, or they think, you know, there's a chance they may be going to hell. That's a great but, question. I wonder if they actually... You know, it'd be, it, that would be some, just on a personal note, I'd be interested to wonder what they think about yeah, it, to hear yeah. what they think maybe, about that. Maybe they're afraid of hell, so they're like, hey, let's live forever, because, uh, you know... Maybe the way we you know, lived, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm assuming that these guys don't believe in any sort of afterlife, which is why they would like to continue the current life right. indefinitely, which is, you know, you can't blame them right, for yeah, that. Yeah, you I know? Know. Especially if you're being empirical about everything, there is absolutely no tangible proof of an afterlife, you know, right. Un unless you have some sort of experience on your own. Right. And even uh, even even the literature of near death experiences and stuff are fairly consistent about, you know, possible. Uh, well, I mean, you know, people from different cultures, different backgrounds have have the same or similar experiences. Even people that are blind that have never seen before have similar experiences to those um, who aren't blind and things like that. So, right. that's a whole other topic that I would love to tackle. We probably will do that at some point. We just gotta find somebody, or or maybe I'll have a near death experience and. I'll come on and you can interview me about that. You can do it live on the podcast. I, you know, I was a movie. What? Did you just say live? What? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to have my near death experience live on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. I'm skydiving uh, in the North Pole in, in a Speedo. So... 
I'm gonna be very close to death here. I'm gonna report back. Let you guys know how it is. I don't even know where that came from. I don't know why. I think I that think that just painted a beautiful visual for our audience. I think so, especially since they have no idea what I look like. So well, I, I got a their beautiful minds, visual. They, yeah. Least. Well, don't let anybody know. We'll just let their minds. Um, you guys can just make up your own picture you of what I would look like in a speedo. <laughs> just goggles. Just that's goggles. All right. Oh gosh! All right, this is getting out <laughs> okay. of hand. Um, All right, the singularity, <laughs> something. Yeah, uh, which guys? Yeah, there was another point in there somewhere that I was going to mention, but yeah, you're, but you just you're got too, distra- <laughs> too distracted by my near death experience. Oh, what I was going to say, I, I believe there's a movie called Flatliners that actually right. is about this. That they they try to yeah know, go induced uh, death or whatever. Yes, yeah, that that that's totally a thing. Today's a good day to die. Thirty seconds to go. Can you recall any specific emotion or sensation? No, but there is something out there. We're running out of time. Three hundred. Clear. Nothing. You're hot. Go again. Clear. Nothing. I can't hear anything. Come on, Nelson. Freeze. We lost him. Yeah. People totally do that. They die basically, and they have just made the preparations to come back to life. You know, I always, I totally forgot about that. We need to not do that, but we, <laughs> we, we should find somebody who's had a near-death experience. If, if, if anybody out there listening to this, after you finish picturing me skydiving in a Speedo and goggles, if you've had a near-death experience of your own, why don't you shoot us an email? I mean, I can't guarantee anything. The producers of the show and the network, you know, they really got us, got us where it hurts, so... <laughs> We'll pull who's, some strings. Who's, that? who's if the we, producer in the? In I don't the know. Network? They're just there is they're the powers. I don't know. The, nobody knows who they are. They're just there. Are they being greedy? <sighs> they're being so greedy. Well, we're gonna we be t- greedy because we're, we're we're just wasting time we're now. Wasting time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Back to the singularity and these dudes. And so, um, yeah. So uh, okay. So we we established that it's a it's a big boys game. It's it's. Yeah. And we're going to reap whatever consequences. I mean, if, if as they carry this out, we're going to suffer whatever consequences they, they provide. Because, I mean, even though it seems like things might be good at, at, you know, on the onset, you know, we're creating peace. Why would you, you know, be against this type of thing? Ultimately, it's really to be able to, to sustain the life of those who can afford it. Right. That's what I was going to say. Number one, it's rebellion. Don't even try to go there. Number two... It's not for you, people listening to this, unless Bill Gates or um, somebody else rich and is listening to this. It's it's not for you. You don't get it. We don't get it. This isn't for us. If they figure out how to make human beings live forever, it's not going to be for everybody. Right. That, you can guarantee that because they know they already are trying to kill everyone else off. You know, they're already trying to thin out the population. The game is not discover how to make human beings live forever so every human being born from now until the end of time can live forever. That's not the game. Right. The game is they figure out how to live forever. They do a good job at destroying us while keeping you know, at least parts of the planet intact where they can live um, eternally. You know, I mean, that's, that's simplified and I'm sure they've... They've edited their plan a little bit when they hit hiccups once in a while, but that's the basics of it. 
Yeah. And so when you, when when we hear something about oh we've learned how to make the human being live a lot longer or we've discovered the the human immortality that's nothing to get excited about that just means they've they're on to phase 2 you know they can live forever now so now let's get everybody else out of here right and i think one of the things that's very indicative of that truth is the fact that Ray Kurzweil at Singularity University charges $25,000 for a 10-week course. Yeah, I mean... That's a lot of money for a 10-week course on Singularity philosophy. Yeah, a philosophy course. There are no answers there. There's no medicine involved. (laughs) There's no... You don't get to live forever for 25 grand. You get to hear a guy talk about living forever for 25 grand for 10 weeks yeah sounds great yeah yeah we should we should infiltrate that do a little uh you know investigative work i think you i think you can pull it off better than i could yeah because i mean we just got to wait for that twenty five thousand dollar (laughs) donation there's anybody out there who just really wants to know what's going on in there make that 50 so we can both go in there and God. Just tackle them from both ends. I don't know if I want to. That sounds boring. Yeah, it's probably really kind of annoying. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so how are they going to get us to support something like this? How are they going to get us to buy into this idea of a singularity and you know human immortality and all this stuff? I well, I think I think part of it a lot of it has to do with the uh, the conspiracy conversations and topics people bring up about like you mentioned the depopulation all this stuff but to convince us i think they're just creating well first off they've already done a pretty good job of creating a bunch of well what i would consider calling like miniature nebuchadnezzars you know like nebuchadnezzar hmm. from the bible how he like he, you know he had it all and he just wanted more and right. and you know build bigger things and and all this stuff we kind of have, at least in, in the West, we have that, ma- that mindset, especially in like the capitalistic culture. Right. We have that like, well, we're going we're gonna to build this house and it's going to be this huge house and, you know, I want to be remembered for the, for the things that I, you know, all this stuff, this idea right. of building a statue for my, I mean, that's our culture, you know, we hold people up that are successful and, and uh, right. they value people that can lie well. And I mean, it's just all jacked up, but there's, um, I think there's a bigger social effect that's going on. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, obviously the education uh, world, but also just socially our, our kids and just young people in general with, you know, things like video games with iPhones and gadgets and things like that, trying to convince us that, Technology, there's like nothing wrong with technology. Technology is good. Uh, mm-hmm. Advancement in these things is good. Look at how, you know, I mean, if anyone was around in the, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80s, I guess. Was I mean, anybody we were, around? We were, I mean, we were, I guess we were around in the 80s, but did we talk about this idea that we are the last generation? of people that will be born pre-internet? 
Oh, like living in yes. a pre-internet world. Did we talk about this? Yeah. I don't remember if we did on the show. I don't, I don't know if we talked about it, but yeah. yeah literally I mean, being born. Be, but that's kind of like saying like we're the last generation that's pre, I don't know, Capri Sun or something. Because the internet's here now. This is it. Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. But like the world has changed with the internet, obviously. like Things have changed quite a bit, right? Yes. So right, yeah, okay. just, the, just the philosophy of how we carry out things and, and just our lives in general, whereas people used to, you know, just the common conversation of people used to run outside and play and blah, blah, blah. Now they're sitting, right. you know, in the house on the computer or whatever, which is kind of what we're doing now. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's had that. You guys are my only friends. <laughs> um, all these things while it doesn't seem to, it really does have a spiritual effect on, on us. You know, I think it's, that's the part that's really blinding as well is that people don't realize that there is a spiritual component to this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was actually talking to an elderly gentleman um, the other day. Uh, he came up to me and was like, so what's up with your life? And it was just kind of weird, uh, but I embraced it. It was great. And we started talking about, uh, I was just, I happened to be sitting on my laptop and I, and I started talking about, you know, after I mentioned my family and, and, uh, you know, some of the stuff going on, I mentioned that, Hey, you know, we got this podcast and I have this video on YouTube and you know, all this stuff. And he was like, Oh wow. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, I, I have email, but he's like, that's all I need. What do I need all this other garbage for? <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of, uh, I don't know. There was a sense of wholesomeness coming off of this right. guy, you know, it was just like, wow, yeah. that's so pure of you to like, just be yeah. like, oh, I don't need this other garbage internet yeah. crap. You know, you it's, know, it's really funny you mentioned that because it was the same day I was talking to my friend about greed. I was talking to this young lady and I said something about like, oh, everybody has, has smartphones and I can't remember exactly what I said. Something to the degree of like, oh, you know, actually like a lot of times you need smartphones now. I mean, this is part of life. She's like, no, you don't need smartphones. Like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I know friends who have regular cell phones. She's like, yeah, you don't need regular cell phones either. You don't really need any phones. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Wait a second. She is so right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like here I am. I don't even know what I was talking about, but... And she's like, "No, we don't need phones. It's, you, you could get." I'm like, "Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I thought about maybe getting a regular." She's like, "No, you don't need that phone either. We don't need phones. We just, we can just be people." I'm like, wow, that, that's revolutionary. It's, it's so true. But then you know, there's so many things that tie us down to technology. Our jobs, are yeah. Like for uh, yeah, example, I think that's I think that's where I was going with that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Like at least in in um, Southern California, where both of us are. I remember growing up with payphones everywhere, right? And you make the collect call and, you know, that right. kind of stuff if you want to call home and you don't have any money or whatever. Right. I remember, I distinctly remember them starting to pull out payphones or like mm-hmm. walking up to a payphone that doesn't work, you know? Right. And it's just sort of, it's just sort of weird how, you know, or that. Like payphones where the, the receiver had been, like they, they just tore it out. Yeah. Like it's not- yeah, yeah. It's just really weird that I just remember thinking like, as the cell phone was becoming more and more dominant and, you know, everyone started getting one after the pager era. If any of you guys mm-hmm. remember pagers, 
yeah, it's just weird. I remember thinking like, man, I really wish that I had a cell phone because I didn't at the time and I wanted to make a call and I go to the, you know, the payphone that's always there and it was ripped out. It was gone. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess I need a cell phone was the logic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just weird. Yeah. But anyway, going back to the, to the conversation I was having with this, uh, this elderly gentleman, you know, I just brought up like, yeah, you know, this, this whole idea of technology, we, you know, the, we talk about these things and all these, you know, crazy things on, and on, the, on the podcast and things like that. And he brought right. up um, a concern that he saw in his own grandson. And he was talking about how his grandson was kind of unpopular. He was, you know, kind of an outcast type thing. And he was, they were having trouble with his self, uh, self-esteem and things like that. But then he started playing call of duty, which is a very, very popular game right now. Um, you know, it's, it's a war game. You go out and shoot people. Mm -hmm. And this elderly gentleman mentioned how he had heard a sermon on, video games in general and how the mental act, just the mental act of killing people gives kids that are outcasts and things like that, or, or have low self-esteem gives them a sense of self-worth. And he, I mean, he was sort of devastated about this. He's like, you know, they, they, you know, his grandson spends hours and hours and hours on right. games. I, I will have to say, I think that was extrapolated a little bit. I'm not sure if it's the the actual virtual act of killing someone that does that. This is this is just me making a quick argument. But I, I think with any game, if you're good at anything, it makes you feel better about yourself. Right. right, right it's right. un it's unfortunate that today being good at a game means being good at making one representation of a human being mercilessly slaughter hundreds of other right. <laughs> virtual representations of human beings. Right. That is unfortunate. And for that specific case, I would also be very sad <laughs> if, if that was presented to me in that way as well. Right. And, and this is some, some of this information that I, I kind of, I'm working into Age of Deceit too, but I'm trying to flush it out a little bit on the podcast. See how you know people think about it. See what you think about it yes. too, Basil. Okay. But um, I was talking to another friend who has a niece who is one and a half years old, and they are dependent on their iPads. One and a half. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there's video footage on YouTube of kids who you know they sit there, they are able to swipe, put in their little number, and go into their app and do their little games and things like that. Chase hasn't even learned to speak, but there's one thing this toddler can do. The 18-month-old can navigate his way through an iPad like a whiz. He wasn't even one, and he can play with that thing before he can walk. No instructions needed here. Interacting with the interface seems to be intuitive, with tiny fingers immediately springing into action. And he's there. Like navigating through this thing, like it's it's nothing. Yeah, if I was to get my mom on there, she wouldn't even know how to turn it on. Developers have taken notice, responding with an endless supply of child-specific apps that, with a simple swipe, convert the device into something entirely new. A lot of this is is really um, good teaching. The multimodal um, inputs that they have, so you can have pictures and text and sound, and it all works together. Get 
Traditional toy companies have realized there's no sense resisting technology, that this is the new frontier. New frontier. New frontier. And I guess, you know, I was talking to this guy and, and he was saying that his niece, if you take the iPad away, they start crying, like as if you yeah. took away their, their milk or their, their pacifier. Right. You know? And I mean, think about what that's like. I mean, we can't relate on that level because we were born into a world without iPads. These kids are being born now into a world with iPads, iPhones, internet. They're called dirty bombs, stealing crops of gas and radiation. What about the water that comes out of your faucet? Did you know that there could be stuff in there that could harm or even kill your kids? Are your kids being brainwashed? I'll tell you who's taking cues from the Nazis. A town in California is insisting that every second grader learns about gay penguins. Social engineering of America's children. We'll have global governance. Yeah. Run Just by a completely different world, if you really think about it. It and we're, we don't really know the full effects of what's going to happen because never in history have we had children being born in an era of iPhones, iPads, yes. you know, tablets, internet, TV, cable, whatever, all this stuff. Right. So it, it's kind of a scary thing if you sort of think about sociologically. It's it's like, well, what's going to happen? Like, what what is going to be the mindset of uh, this next generation or or the current generation that's coming through? Yeah, it's going to be weird. It's really weird. Yeah. You know what else? I I had this app on my iPhone called Cat Toys and it's it's basically an app for for cats, for felines. Um and there's a lot of these that exist now and basically you you just turn it on and it has a little mouse running around and you put it in front of your cat and your your cat some cats, some cats don't care, but other, I think the dumber cats, um, <laughs> they go crazy. They go insane about this. And I know there's somebody out there listening to this right now who has a cat and has cat apps. And I'm telling you, man, I don't know what effect. We have a whole generation of cats growing up with apps. <laughs> I mean, why is nobody worried about that? Gosh, well, that's... Well, that, that, that's the whole point, I think. The underlining thing that's going on here is conditioning all of us to accept technology and embrace it. And um, this is a, a quote from Wired.com, um, and it's talking about the Singularity University upgrade and kind of the aspirations of what the Singularity University wants to do. And... Uh, it says here, quote, for four years, Singularity University has deployed exponentially advancing technologies to address humanity's biggest problems. Now, the elite Silicon Valley school is planning to exponentially advance itself, transforming from a provider of short supplemental classes into a sort of innovation pipeline with a rich website and conference series on one end, an expanding array of classes in the middle, and at the other end, incubation labs for startups and corporate skunk works teams, as well as strong global alumni network. The ongoing expansion is meant not only to make the university a bigger player in the world of business, but also to influence elected leaders and other policymakers to spread ideas and values from the university to dozens of foreign countries and to change the way humans are educated at a time of rapid technological progress. Singularity University CEO, Rob Nail, who began his work this past October, is just getting going on his plans. 
which he frames as a series of ambitious experiments to further the university's founding goal of solving humanity's greatest challenges. So what, we're just a big social experiment or what's, I mean, it just sounds like we're like this huge lab laboratory and I mean, let's that's, just deploy these technologies on one end with, you know, classes in the middle and then these corporations, you know, making yeah, it I all mean, happen on the other end and we'll yeah, see what happens. I, I mean, I really don't see why you're so, so surprised. <laughs> I mean, we just talked about um, the sentient world simulation. We are, we're, we're lab rats in, in this big, awesome laboratory um, run by crazy people with a lot of money. Yeah, and I guess the punchline here is that this is leading humanity to adopt a new religion. Really, this is what it comes down <laughs> to is a spiritual thing. Yeah. Through the material, through the economic stuff, through the greed, um, we are being taught a new right. form well, of spirituality. They're trying to make this this system of stuff. They're trying to form this system of stuff into a system that makes us happy. And like I said earlier in the show, where studies have shown that external factors are only 10% of our happiness. Right. They are creating a world where reliance on external things, technology, and what technology can do for us is the new happy. It's the new spirituality. It's no longer what it used to be, not based on this earth. Right. And now it is. Yeah. And um, just to, to finish it off here, there's a, a British journalist named mm. Andrew Orlowski, and he... Uh, I guess he's written a lot on techno-utopianism, which is kind of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, the singularity is not the great vision for society that Lenin had or Milton Friedman might have. It is rich people building a lifeboat and getting off the ship. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> which is, it's just exactly what it it's is. True. It's true. Awesome. It's true. And that's what's going on. And, you know, <laughs> practically speaking, how this affects us and this, why we have continued this conversation. And I think Tom Horn is releasing um, in the near future, a documentary on transhumanism. And he was, I think he was able to interview a lot of um, uh, people who are part of the movement. So it should be a very interesting film when that comes out. And we're going to try to track down Tom Horn to talk to him about it. Yep. But, uh, but It'll practically what, what does this mean for us? What do you, what do you, what would you say? Like practically speaking, why have this conversation? Why, why continue to uh, raise awareness about these things? About um, the singularity and, and just, the singularity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if for no other reason, just to, you know, entertain ourselves for a little while. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I almost say that in a, just the slightest amount of seriousness um, because the singularity is a mission, like you said, being undertaken by the the very powerful and the very wealthy um, to live forever. That in itself is not so much going to affect me. I will never be able to afford it. I will never have the chance to choose to make this this body of mine immortal. I will never have to make the choice to write the $25,000 check 
to go to the Singularity University and for 10 weeks. Jeez, my goodness. Just one 10-week class. One 10-week class. I will never have to do that. Um, hopefully. Well, shoot, who knows? But, you know, I, I personally, I, uh, this is not something I'm striving for. I probably will not have to make the choice to make this body immortal. Hopefully, I mean, I hope, I hope I never have to make that choice. Um, well, it's the, quite possible that in our lifetime, uh, somebody is going to make that choice for us. That's true. And that's, <laughs> I think, I, I mean, I think that may be a reason to have this conversation. To not be surprised about it will be another reason. But the biggest reason I think is to talk to other people about it. Yeah. You know, I think that it's a it's an open door to talk to other people about the truth, the universal truths of God and Jesus Christ, which is, you know, have you heard about these crazy people trying to live forever? Aren't they crazy? Let me tell you why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at, at least in my in my personal opinion, that's the case. Yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you because I think this is a a topic of conversation that people or at least in our circles, like you, like you describe, I know that there are people in in our community that are completely engulfed in this sort of thing, and not necessarily to live forever or anything like that, but you know, just just enamorated by advanced technology. The new gadget comes out; they've all got to get it. It's you right. know, it's 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 the I guess it's the philosophical drive, if you will, just just the the right. mindset of the people, and I think most people don't stop to think about what they are perpetuating, what, what they are right. helping oh, continue I am, to, you know, instigate. And I am totally guilty of, I of, think we all are. If we're if you're listening that. to the podcast, you're obviously guilty because we're, you know, using technology right. to, to communicate. Well, I mean, but, I, I, as a lover of technology and a lover of science, just, just, eh, I mean, Love is a very strong word, but you people know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I encourage, you know, development in, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting tug of war actually that happens in my mind. I'm sure you've all got that by now, but yeah, I mean, as somebody who, who enjoys objective observation and, and improving um, the human condition and, you know, making things better through technology is great. And but it's so easy to fall into that materialism where, yeah. where focusing on external stimulants, it just or external um, resources or tools or whatever, just becomes such a focus, and and that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll repent. For, I'll repent for that for sure. Yeah, and that's I think that's why this con- this conversation has a place. Yeah. In, and in, then you uh, have a conversation with a young lady who says. What do you mean? We don't need phones. Nobody needs a phone. And then you just, your mind gets blown and you just sink into this, <laughs> this ball dark. of shame. Yeah, exactly. As you pull believe. out your iPhone and take yeah, notes about I it. Believe, I, I can't <laughs> believe somebody had to tell me that. Somebody had to tell me that I don't need a phone. I need to text somebody about <laughs> I need to post this on my blog. <laughs> Gosh, or dang. or talk about it on your podcast. Exactly. I need to. Oh, so, good. I mean, yeah. One last point here. Okay. One of the biggest things that Ray Kurzweil wants to do is he wants to resurrect his father. Okay. And 
again, we've talked about, we talked about greed today Mm -hmm. and this is a tough one because on one hand, it's like you can totally relate to, you know, Ray Kurzweil's desire and, and drive to resurrect his father. You know, right. You lose anybody in life. You long for, you know, having that connection back with that person. Um, but it, th- this is where I, I think the, the difficulties of the greed thing comes in. It's like, there's an element and, and as harsh as this sounds, I think Ray Kurzweil is being a little greedy <laughs> for wanting yeah. to have to, to, for wanting to resurrect his father. I mean, you know, just, you know what tough. I'll do? You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. Maybe he is trying to save his father from an unsavory afterlife by bringing him back to life. Hmm. Just gonna, just gonna leave it there. Because I was gonna, let, I was gonna ask you, you to elaborate on. That. Just, let, I'm just gonna leave that there and let you soak in that for a little bit. Oh boy! But who knows? Who knows a man's heart? Yeah, exactly. Well, God does, mm-hmm. and good thing he's a you know loving, gracious God, and and you know yeah. we're we're all sort of uh, swimming through. I guess you know the saying goes, we see it through a glass darkly, and we're just kind of trying to make our way. And, uh, you know, so next time, um, you have a thought of greed, just, uh, uh, just remember, remember the person that's greedier than you to justify your greed (laughs) and (laughs) just remember that, remember that and then feel bad about yourself and then go repent and then open your Bibles and go read Matthew six, Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 34. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in to Canary Cry Radio this week. Until next time, my name is Basil. And I'm Gons. And keep thinking outside the cage, y'all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on stumbleupon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.